Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Praise the Lord. Thank you, sir. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 15, the gospel according to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, the New Testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 15. I want to talk this morning about the father you always wanted. Because whether or not you had a great dad or you had a terrible dad or your dad died when you were young or your dad walked out on you and your mom or whatever your case may be, there is a father that we all want and long for. I'm around children a lot. And it is not hard to notice, if you know what you're looking for, when children are looking for attention. They will do almost anything to get attention. They'll do something good. Sometimes, if left to their own devices, they'll do something not so good, praise the Lord, as a cry for attention. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where, where literally, like, like, it's like... If they're not the center of attention in a given moment, they'll find a way to become the center of attention. Well, the reason that this is is that this is is because each one of us, down deep, we have an innate, an innate desire to be loved by our Father. In other words, you have an innate desire to be connected with the one that created you. So the question is, what is he really like? And I want to talk this morning about the Father. You've always wanted. Jesus taught in parables. Parables is a word that we get the word parabola from. But parable literally just means Jesus taught in like short story form. He wasn't a long-winded preacher. Somebody say amen to that. He taught in short story form. And the reason he did that is because it was the best way for information to get into people and imparted. We get the word parabola. The word parabola, if you remember physics or or geometry, literally means like an arch. A parabola is like an arch or a curve. And if you see a bridge, any bridge that's going to hold any substantial weight, almost without exception, either has like the Golden Gate Bridge has arches has arches on top of it where the the cables are suspended. Or if you look at the one that goes uh, right past the Hoover Dam, there's a great arch underneath that. And what, what that does is that parabola or that arch, it creates strength in every direction. So that's what you build a structure out of if you need supernatural or, or super strength. So what Jesus did is he taught in parables, which are ways that develop and deliver strength to you and me, that no matter where you push on them, they are strong. Because if you take a triangle or a square or a rectangle or any other shape, it's going to have points that are weaker than others. But a parabola, they're all the same strength. In other words, the word of the living God doesn't have any weak parts to it. So literally, when you apply the word of God to your life, you're saying, I am positioning myself in a way that there are no weak parts in what I am basing my faith off of. Somebody say amen. 
So Jesus taught in these great parables so that we could understand. Today I want to talk about the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is about a guy who runs out on the family early, but ends up coming back, and it paints a beautiful picture of what our God is like. In other words, the father you've always wanted. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 says this. There a certain man had two sons. Somebody say two sons. There will always be the trap of comparison for you to fall into. Don't do it. You're going to see other families that are at a different place or pace than you are. But if you continue to live by comparison, there are only two options. Either you will consider yourself higher than somebody else or you'll consider yourself lower than somebody else. If you consider yourself higher than somebody else, now all of a sudden you've fallen into a very haughty place or arrogant place. If you consider yourself lower than somebody else, now you're arguing with the Bible because the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, a human is a human is a human is a human. That means if you're pink, if you're purple, if you're white, if you're black, if you're blue, you are 100% a child of the living God. There is no delineate differentiation between us in the eyes of God. So never fall into the trap of comparison. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. We can't fall into the trap of comparison because there's going to be some things that you're going through that somebody else has already been through. There's going to be some things that you're going through that as soon as you get through it, you're going to be able to help somebody else who goes through it after you. So you can't compare yourself, your life experiences with everybody else's because you don't know what they've been through. Which is why at this church, we love people and point them to Christ. Because when they walk through those doors, we don't know what their history says. We don't know what they've endured. We don't know how much strength and, 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 and courage it took just to come to church for the first time or just to come back to church for the first time. We have no concept of what they may or may not have endured. So what we're going to do is we're never going to fall into the trap of comparison because all it does is bind and hold those who fall in it. The Bible says this, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to the father, he said, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And the man, the dad, divided unto them his living or his estate. Now, what's interesting about this is according to Hebraic law at that time, the younger son would have only gotten half as much as the older son. So the oldest son would have gotten half of everything and the youngest son would have gotten half of half of everything. In other words... The father was not even done building his household. Maybe he had a big ranch. He had some cows or at least one cow. Maybe he had a big ranch. Maybe he wasn't done buying up all the property he was going to buy and raising up the livestock he was going to buy and and building a great business or a great empire or a great ministry or whatever he was building. Literally, the son said, I don't want what I could have. I want the little bit I can have now. Number one... If you're going to have and experience the father you've always wanted, listen, you have to trust God. That son effectively was impatient about what was coming. In other words, he did not trust that the plans that his father had for him were better than the own plans he could derive. If you're going to experience 
the father you've always wanted. You have to trust God. You have to trust him when it makes sense. You have to trust him when it does not make sense. You have to trust him whenever your boss comes in and says, hey, we're going to have some layoffs and you're first on the list. You've got to trust God right then. You have to trust God when your world is ransacked. You have to trust God when a doctor's report comes back in an unfavorable, unfavorable way. You have to trust. If you're going to experience the father you've always wanted, you have to recognize that his plans are bigger and better for you than anything you could calculate, scheme, manufacture, or take part of or take away early on your own. You have to trust him. There can be no variance in this. And if you're going to trust him, you've got to decide to trust him daily. You don't just trust him on Sunday morning when the worship team is doing phenomenal. You don't just trust him on Sunday morning when the presence of God is so tangible that you feel like you've got chill bumps on top of your chill bumps, praise the Lord. You've got to trust God in every situation because when you do, you'll find out he'll never fail. Because not yet... Or not now does not mean never. The son was an heir and a joint heir with his older brother and would have had access to everything he had his eyes on. But because of his impatience and the fact that he didn't trust the plan of his father, he was willing to settle for less. Jesus paid for everything that you will access in the kingdom of God with his spotless, sinless blood. Refuse to accept less than the full inheritance that Jesus Christ paid for. Come on, somebody give God a hand of praise if you're going to trust God even this week. He divided up between the two brothers. And the Bible says, verse 13, not too many days later, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. You can just picture this. I'm leaving. I'm running home. He probably put it all in a blanket, put it on a stick, and put the stick over his shoulder and began to walk away. I'm out of here. And the the, the boy was probably looking at dad like, I'm really leaving, dad. You're going to stop me. And dad going, hey, man, I'm not stopping. If you want to leave all this, you can leave all this. He begins to walk off into the wilderness. The Bible says he takes all of his stuff not too many days later and there he wasted his substance on riotous living. Verse 14. And when he'd spent everything, there arose a great famine in the land and he began to be in want or in need. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He went and became effectively a a slave to a citizen of that country. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And when he would have, when he would, when, and, and he would fain have filled his belly with husks. In other words, he was just starving, staring at what the, the pigs were eating, wanted to eat what they were eating, but no man gave unto him. Here's the situation. Nothing is in your Bible by accident. For instance, 
The Bible says that when Jesus walked into Jerusalem before he was killed, he walked past a fig tree. You may remember this story. Part of what he did to the fig tree is he cursed the fig tree and he told it to die. And the Bible says that the next day that the fig tree was withered up from the root and was dead. Now, the reason this is important and the reason it wasn't an apple tree is because the Bible said in the book of Genesis, the first man, Adam, was thrown out of a garden. And he was thrown out of a garden because he sinned in the presence and the face of God. And the Bible said when he sinned, he took fig leaves and he tried to cover his nakedness. He tried to cover his shame from the eyes of God. So what Jesus was doing whenever he was walking to Jerusalem, knowing he was about to walk into the garden of Gethsemane, he said, I am going into a garden. I'm not getting thrown out of a garden. And oh, by the way, I don't need your leaves to cover up any shame because I am the sinless, spotless son of the living God. I am the one and only true lamb of God. I don't need you. Nothing is in your Bible by accident. So the Bible says here uh, uh, that the boy is, is out there and he's having to feed the pigs. Well, if, you're, if you have any Jewish roots or you know anything about Jewish history or you know anything even now how uh, Hebraic or Hebrew or Jewish people are, pigs are like the lowest of the low on the Jewish totem pole. They don't do pork. They don't do any. They don't want to be close to it because it's not kosher. So this young man found himself at the bottom of the barrel of life. Jesus was spending his time talking to Jewish people at this time. And so we know or we can, we can contract from the rest of the story that he's talking to Jewish people. And he's saying, this guy's out feeding pigs. And everybody's probably going, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's out feeding pigs. He's at the lowest part of what his life could be. And the Bible says that when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, how many hired servants, how many of the people that work for my dad have enough bread to eat and to spare, yet I'm sitting here perishing with hunger. He's starving. Number one, if you're going to experience the father you've always wanted, you have to trust him. Number two, God is not responsible for your problems. He is responsible for your solutions. This young man finds himself at the lowest place of his life and the dominoes started falling the day he decided not to trust the hand of the living God. Not to trust his father in the story. The moment he decided that his plan was better than God's plan, now all of a sudden all the dominoes began to fall in the opposite direction. No, there has to come to a place where you begin to come to yourself and you don't blame your dad for something that you are still doing. Your father is not the source of all of your problems. Your heavenly father is not the source of any of your problems. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He will bless you in your coming in and your going out. He will bless you in the city and the field. He is the God that heals your body. To make it real simple, sickness comes from the devil and healing comes from God. That is how it is. It will not change. He is overwhelmingly good and he never ever fails. Come on, put your hand up like this and just say this with me. Say, God never fails. Say it again. God never fails. One more time. Get it down in here. God never fails. 
You begin to get that kind of mentality, you'll stop looking at God and railing your fist and you'll open your hands. The Bible says we lift up our hearts with our hands and you'll begin to magnify God. You'll begin to bless God. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you'll find something to thank Him for because there's not one facet of God that's not good. There's not one facet of God that's not thinking about you. There's not one facet of God that doesn't want to open the windows of heaven and pour Himself out over you. Don't you ever look at God as the source of your problems. He is the source of your solutions only. Now, how do you explain all the junk we got to deal with? That's a great question. Think about a chocolate chip cookie. Hang on, I just went somewhere mentally. I'm back. Chocolate chip cookie is inarguably the greatest cookie on the planet. As a matter of fact, sugar cookies exist in case you ever get tired of eating a chocolate chip cookie. You can go eat a sugar cookie and remember how much better a chocolate chip cookie is. Praise the Lord. But when you make chocolate chip cookies, there are ingredients that by themselves are not favorable. You take the baking powder and you decide to take a spoonful of it and eat that, you're going to be displeased, praise the Lord. (laughs) But if you bake the cookies without the baking powder, you will have a less than optimum result. In other words, the chef takes what is not necessarily good by itself, combines it with everything else, mix it up, puts it in the incubator or the oven for a certain amount of time, and then when the clock goes off, now all of a sudden that which was designed is favorable and will satisfy you, but if it didn't have the other parts that were not good, it would have not been as good as it could be complete. In other words, he causes all things to work together for your good. He is the solution to your problems. Number one, if you're going to experience the Father you've always wanted, you have to trust Him. you got to trust Him on Monday. you got to trust Him on Tuesday. you got to trust Him on Thursday. When your kids keep asking you for a snack every 15 minutes of the day because school is out. Oh, I'm the only one. <laughs> Can I have a snack? You like just ate 7,000 goldfish. But I'm hungry. Number one, you got to trust him. Number two, God is not responsible for your problems. Verse 17, and he came to himself. Somebody say, to himself. himself. You remember the Bible says this? If you didn't know it, just let me kind of give it to you. It says you raise a kid up in the way that they should go, and when they get older, they won't depart from that. In other words, this dad had raised this boy up in the way that he should go. So when he began to repent and come back to the things of God, it wasn't like he was becoming something else. He came back to himself. See, sometimes you just need to remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you just need to remember who you belong to. This young man came to himself, the Bible says, and he said, How many hired servants, how many people that work for my dad, Have enough bread to eat, enough to spare. And here I perish with hunger. He says, here's what I'll do. I'll go to my father and I'll say unto him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired servants. Number three. It's very important. 
God is not looking for employees in the kingdom of God. Because employees tend to clock out. He's looking for sons and daughters. Heirs and joint heirs. When I grew up, I grew up in a town of about 7,000 people. It was very small. And we had like 500 businesses, depending upon what time of the year it was. What was going. It was just the way it was to try to make a living in a small town. We worked until we couldn't work, and then we just worked some more. It was awesome. Praise the Lord. But I would come home from school or go to, the, to the, my dad's office after school. It was a dry cleaning plant. It was extremely hot. Everything in the back runs off of steam. And it's like 107 million degrees in Texas, right? So everything runs on steam. And I would get done with football practice or whatever, and I would walk to my dad's office, me and my brothers. And, and I would walk in, and it dawned on me, I never cared who was in the office. I never even thought about it. I just walked into my dad's office. And as if there was a pause button in my dad's life, no matter who he was talking to in the office, no matter what it was, it was like it was instantly paused because his son or his children just walked in the room. Hey, Brian, how's it going? I'm pretty good, Dad. How was school? It was terrible. (laughs) What do you mean it was terrible? Well, they made me read and do stuff. He's like, that's what school is. I'm like, well... School is terrible. (laughs) Anybody under 18, your pastor was joking right there, okay? School is not terrible. School is awesome. Praise God. (laughs) I would walk in, and and depending upon the day, we had a Coke machine, and, and I said, Dad, I'm thirsty. He's like, oh, just go get some money out of the cash register. And I'd go over to the cash register, And I'd hit the button, I'd grab me a couple bucks out of it, and I'd either walk out to the Coke machine and slide it in there. Sometimes I'd take the Coke machine key, and I'd open, y'all remember, anybody ever opened a Coke machine? You twist a thing like that, then you open it up like that, and then you reach in there, and every place that you reach in a Coke machine is like a loaded mousetrap, okay? It will snap you in some way or another. So I would get a Coke out of there, or if it was a real good day, if we were real thirsty, we'd walk over to Tidbit. Tidbit was a little corner store across the street from the laundry, and I would walk in there, and there was a Kiss pinball machine. Ding, 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 And I was not like a pinball person because there were actually pinball people that were there. And I would be like, do you not have a job, bro? You're like 400 years old, and you're still playing pinball. I'd walk in there and be like, hey, man, can I borrow a quarter? I'm like, no, bro, my dad gave me this. I'd walk in a tidbit, and I'd get me, not a Twinkie, because Twinkies don't have icing on top. I'd get a zinger, praise God. <laughs> Y'all know what a zinger is. I'd get a zinger. I'd get me some, some nacho cheese Doritos, because God is faithful. And anytime my brothers asked me if they could have some, I'd say, these are nachos. <laughs> Life was grand. I'd get me a Dr. Pepper, and I'd always like the ones that were in the glass bottle because they tasted better. I don't know why. The main reason I liked it was because I could go behind the cleaners and break the glass on a rock when I was done drinking it. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> I just explained all the flat tires. I don't know what happened. We drive back here, we got a flat tire. <sighs> I 
come back over, eat my nacho cheese Doritos and my, is that, are y'all hungry yet? My zingers, drink my Dr. Pepper. Dad might tell me, Brian, go in the safe. I'm nine, ten years old. Go in the safe. Get $5,000 out of it. We need to go make a deposit. I'm nine years old. Okay. Did you lock it back? Yes, sir. Here it is. I'll just put it in your pocket. We'll take it down there in a minute. I'm nine years old. Five grand sitting in my pocket. I don't ever remember an employee having access to that safe. I do remember employees getting fired for taking money out of the cash register, but I was encouraged to do so. Why? God's not looking for employees. He's looking for sons and daughters. Because what he's wanting to build in your life is not something he wants you to clock out of on Monday morning just because your day has, your week has actually started. He wants you to take what you're sensing right now, the faith that's getting built up in you right now, and he wants you to make this a 24-7 thing. He wants you to say, I'm not backing off. I'm not giving up. He's the author and finisher of my faith. I'm going to trust him. He's not the source of my problems. He's the source of my solutions. I'm leaning into this thing called the father that I've always wanted. You see, he's not looking for employees. He's looking for sons and daughters and sons and daughters don't steal because sons and daughters realize they are heirs and joint heirs everything that they see belongs to them anyway he goes on he says I'm not worthy dad to be called your son he said just make me one of your hired hands make me a servant make me an employee don't get this twisted there's nothing wrong with working for somebody I'm talking about the kingdom of God now There's nothing wrong with working for somebody. Matter of fact, there is great honor in work. The Bible actually says in the New Testament, if you don't work, you don't eat. Some people are wondering, how come God ain't blessed me? That's because he said he'll bless the work of your hand and there's no work in your hand. I have like five rap songs playing in my head right now. Verse 20. I was filtering to see if any of them were editable. The answer was no. Verse 20. He said, I'm not. He had just gotten done saying, I'm not fit to be your son anymore. The Bible says the daddy arose and he came, he came to his father. But when the daddy saw him a great way off, his father had compassion on him, ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him. The dad never went and rolled in the pit with the pigs just because his son was there. But the moment the son came to himself and decided to get out of the pit with the pigs, the dad started running to him. What am I trying to say? You don't want a dad without standards. 
You don't want a God without standards. You don't want a God that doesn't show you the way. You don't want a God that says right is wrong and wrong is right. You don't want a God like that. You want a God that holds the line because the problem is anything that he would use uh, that would waver or otherwise you would never know which direction it would go. But because he never changes, he never moves, he establishes the bar, he establishes the standard and he says, listen, I'm not telling you you got to hit it every day. I'm asking you to press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ because I'm trying to call you from the places that you are up to the places that I've already established you to access. You don't want a dad without standards. I remember when I was a kid one time I got in trouble and my dad said to me, he said, go to your room and get everything you like. I brought down a deck of cards. (laughs) I was like, this is about it, dad. Think about being a magician. Pick a card. He goes, okay. He goes to my room and he just starts taking posters off my wall. Even Troy Aikman. (laughs) Who would take a Troy Aikman poster? Where's your wallet? Right there. Grabs my wallet, pulls all the money out of it, my driver's license, throws it back to me. Phone. Every everything. Clothes. You like these clothes? Uh Uh-uh. Yes, you do. (laughs) What's all of this? Doesn't matter. It's coming with me. In a box. Kept it in his bedroom, my mom and dad's bedroom, like a trophy pile. He left me a Bible, a guitar, and a weight set. That was it. And at the time... I wasn't pleased, but whom the Father loves, He corrects. Now I look back and I go, man, thank God my family, my parents were willing to do whatever was in their power to direct me in the right direction, even when I couldn't see it on my own. So what I'm saying is you don't want a father without standards. You don't want a dad that doesn't have a line, that doesn't have a target for you to reach. He goes and the Bible says that he falls on his son and he, he takes a, he calls, he says, put a robe on this boy. And he smells like a pig. All he's been doing is feeding pigs. He didn't tell him, before you come to my house, you're going to clean yourself up. He said, the instant I see you taking a Step in my direction. I will wrap you in a robe of righteousness, says the Bible. You're not righteous by your own actions. You're righteous because the blood of Jesus makes you righteous. He takes a ring and he puts it on his finger. A ring in those days was like a signet. They would take and they would write out a decree or if they were making a purchase order to buy some, some, some straw or, or some feed, they would, they would write it out and then they would take their seal. They would take some wax. They would pour it out. They would take their ring and they would mash the seal on their ring into that wax and you would know that that family verified what they were trying. They were good for what they were trying to purchase. He puts a ring on his finger and says, not only am I wrapping you in righteousness, I'm giving you the authority to use our name. When you come back to, to God, he wraps you in a robe of righteousness and he says this. He says, now you can use the name that is above every name that can be named. He says, put shoes on my boy's feet. The Bible says that we should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Before he supplied anything else, any sustenance for his physical body, 
He supplied for him peace that surpasses all understanding. If you're wondering what God wants for you, he wants you to know that you have access to peace even in the middle of a storm, even in the middle of a valley, even in the middle of the issues of your life. He looks back at his staff and he says, Now go kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And the Bible said they began to make merry and they began to celebrate. Number one, if you're going to experience the Father you've always wanted, and He's accessible to all of us. You have to trust God. You can't be like that, that boy in the beginning when he thought his plans were better than God's plans. Look, pray and pray in faith, but always, always put a caveat on your prayers. Nevertheless, thy will be done because God's plan for your life are significantly bigger than your plans for your life. Number two, God's not responsible for your problems. If you're blaming God for something, you're blaming the one who has your solution. I try to stay real, real conscious of how people could feel about that. But to be honest with you, as a representation of who God is, meaning as a representative of the kingdom of God, one who speaks for the kingdom of God as a representative, it is very harmful when I hear people be angry with God because it would be like being angry with the doctor that's trying to heal you. He is not against you. There's not one place where he is against his own people. It doesn't exist. My children, I have three. They are mine and if anybody is against them, every single thing that I have I have resources in the natural and I have authority in the spirit. And before God, everything that I have at my disposal is against what is against my children. Because I'm not playing games with my offspring. How much more so, the Bible says, is our heavenly father able to bless those who will ask? If you look at him as the problem, you're looking at the one who has your solution and railing your fist. You've got to wash that whole thing out and just go, nope, he's a good father. And if I die tomorrow, I'll go to heaven and meet him. But I'm not going to back off of the concept that God is for me and not against me. I'm not going to buy into this ideology. I'm not going to sit here and cry in the carpet about God this and God that. No, he is the author. He's the beginning of your faith. And he's also the finisher of your faith. Don't blame God for something the devil's trying to do in your life number three God's not looking for employees don't clock out when it comes to the things of God you're a son and daughter you're a son or a daughter of the most high God lastly number four you're authorized dads I'm talking to you now you're authorized because he's the God, the father that you always wanted, you are authorized to be the father you always wanted to be. If your dad said some things to you when you were young and they really propelled you, say them to your offspring. If your dad said some things that really harmed you, don't ever say them to your offspring. You are completely authorized to be the father you want to be. But the most dangerous, potentially 
kind of father out there is a mediocre dad. Because mediocrity begets or produces mediocrity. Great dads produce great dads. Terrible dads, it's a 50-50 shot. Because the offspring either wants to be just like them or falls into the trap and is just like them and is a jerk. Or B, they say, I'm not going to be anything like my dad. And they become a great dad. But lukewarm does nothing. Mediocre does nothing. If, if, if there's some pitfalls, dad, that you're falling, in, falling into and you're waiting on somebody to tell you it's okay to become the dad that you've always wanted to be, hear me today. You're authorized to become the dad you've always wanted to be. For instance... My dad always wanted to be good looking. And here I am being the dad he always wanted to be. (laughs) You can be the dad that you desire to be. Because... No matter what your earthly father is like, your heavenly father is the dad you always wanted. Be the type of father your children can trust even when they don't understand. Be the type of father that shows them what a work ethic looks like but also shows them how to hit pause and say, nope, now it's us for the next little bit. Be the type of dad that loves. Listen, don't drop the standard just because it's your kid. But when your kid, if they ever drop the standard for a little bit, you start to get a lot more compassionate towards everybody else's kids. Isn't it easy to go, I can't believe they let their kid do that. They just don't know what they're doing. Then one of yours does it, and you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) And now all of a sudden you're going, man, if they'll just take a step, I'll run down the road and grab them. I'll wrap them in a robe, put a ring on their finger and shoes on their feet, and make sure that Sally cooks the best brisket imaginable for them to eat. You see, it's a shift because the father you always wanted is the model for the father you want to be. Just right where you are, just for a moment. If you've never been in a church like this, welcome to a church like this. I sense the presence of the Lord and sometimes in his presence he can do supernatural surgery physically, emotionally, psychologically and in every other way let's just take just a moment without any significant other plans other than to just be in the presence of our Father you're far from him see him wrapping you in that robe today just close your eyes see him wrapping you in that robe today 
see him running towards you. If you're a dad and you've missed the mark a few times, guess what? It's not over. Maybe you're a son or a daughter today and you say, man, I'm resonating with the kid. I've been, I've kind of fallen into the pit with the pigs. Today's your day to come to yourself. Get up out of that nonsense and head home. Today's the day to make that phone call. Today's the day to make that shift. Today's the day for everything to change. For the ship to be righted. For your compass to be reset. For your peace to be restored. For your joy to be enhanced and fulfilled. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, with no one looking around, if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm not right with God. The idea of meeting Him gives me great concern because I'm not sure if I would meet Him and run into open arms or something else. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. That's all He asks for is to trust Him. And the sacrifice that he made for you and me. Maybe you would say it differently. Maybe you would say, I've backslidden. I'm like the prodigal son. Just like this story. And I need to come home today. I want to come back to myself. I want to run to the Father and see the Father run to me. There's no better day than Father's Day. The day when we celebrate dads. If that's you and you're here today, you say, I've never given my heart to Jesus or I know I need to recommit my life to Jesus. When I count to three, lift your hand real tall. Nobody's looking around. In doing so, it's just an act of submission to God saying, that's me, Lord. Write me. Write my name in your book today. And he really, really will. If that's you and I count to three, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. 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 Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Never too young, never too old. Is there anybody else? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, to me. That's you today. I'm telling you about a faithful God. Don't miss this chance. If that's you and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus today or you need to give it back to him, just lift your hand right now. I see that hand. Is there anyone else before I see that hand? Is there anyone else before we pray? Praise God. You can put your hands down. Come on, let's all stand to our feet, church. We're going to pray together, all of us in one voice. You're making a great decision to give your life to Jesus today. He's faithful. You can trust him. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't fail you. If you lifted your hand or you wanted to lift your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Matter of fact, church, help us pray. Let's all lift one hand to heaven and say this. Say, oh God, I come to you now 
and I ask you to save me. Write my name in your book. I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead for my victory. I repent of my sins and I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. If you made that decision today, it's the best decision you could have ever made. If you're new to Jesus or new to our church, you've got to check out our Unbroken Faith Discipleship class. It takes place at 1030, which is during this service every Sunday in the chapel. That's the room that's in the middle of the lobby there. We call it the chapel. It's right there. Next week, it's all about people. So if you gave your life to Jesus today, you're starting to come to our church, you want to know more about your church, you've got to take that next step and go in there and find out what God's really saying about what He'll do with your life. Also, if you're new to our church, don't miss it. Oh my gosh, next Sunday, 5 o'clock, is our New to New Heights First Touch Reception. So if you serve on our First Touch team, we're going to have a great reception. You guys know how we party around here. We do it right. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of food. But if you're new to our church, that's where you're going to meet the people you've been going to church with. That's where you're going to find a team to serve on. Because when we serve the house and the people of God together, everything begins to fall in place because iron truly begins to sharpen iron. Come on, give God another big hand of praise today. Don't forget, if you're first time here, I'd love to meet you. I'll be at the tent right after service. We'd love to uh, send $5 down to the orphanage on behalf of your family, just as our way of saying thank you for coming. But look, don't let go of faith this week. The Father you've always wanted is readily available, and He authorizes you to be the dad you've always wanted to be. Amen? Come on, lift one hand. Father, bless your people coming in. Bless them going out. Bless them in the city and the field. This day and every day. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info. And be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.